0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now we've all been there before trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife this is where outdoor edge really steps in with the razor safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit outdooredge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code Nation30. That's N A T I O N three zero for thirty percent off of your purchase.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith
2: and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you.
1: Welcome back to Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here. Matt's here, and we got a special treat for you. Uh, this week um, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna continue the turkey turkey theme guys we're not ready to give it up uh, from the standpoint of no exactly. We love them too much we've been we talked about all the management leading up to turkey season then we talked about turkey hunting and success and things during season and now we kind of shifted because the numbers are out on the decline of the harvest we overall we know there's a pretty good decline throughout much of the country. Uh, in the turkey population, and so we're going to jump in with some other people um, this week and next week. We're going to talk to some guys um, about uh, what they've seen, ideas they have to help, uh, See, and so varied
2: sources. So it's not just you guys hearing us talk mm-hmm. turkeys for since like what late February all yeah. the way through. We get it. We know most of the seasons are over, <laughs> but but still we've got to be passionate about about this bird and really one of the most. Uh, Critical times is right now nesting and then getting into brood rearing. So we're going to continue talking about turkeys, but bring on some additional folks um, from various sources. Yes, they're going to kind of be centralized in Missouri here, but they still have a national reach and hunt outside of the state. So um, I think they're going to bring a lot of cool point of views, much different from ours. Um, And like our first guest today is a huge public land hunter. Obviously, Aaron Warbritton from the hunting public.
3: I mean, with the name, you know he's going to be hunting
2: public ground. But but very uh, passionate about turkeys, uh, has hunted them in various situations, tons of different states, um, private land and public ground, but now 90% of his time is spent on public ground. So, you know, here's a guy passionate about turkeys, cares about them, um, and, and is trying to be able to do whatever they can as a group to... Um, bring awareness to turkeys, as well as still enjoy the thrills of spring. And so um, Aaron Warburton is going to come on the podcast and share his knowledge and thoughts as a public land, let's say, point of view, Um, what what they're doing for for the wild turkey.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's going to be, well, we've already recorded it, so we know what all he says, but I think it's a... It's once again a guy singing a very similar tune to what we've been saying. Declining numbers, we need to do something. Yes. And now for public land, it's a little different than what we can do on private ground, but oddly enough, but we still there's we a big still emphasis to, on on yeah. public land or private ground management. So yeah, um, it was great to have Aaron on, um, and we're gonna. I mean, we've never been a real we our, our podcast has never been guest heavy. Uh, we've never had a lot of guests for, for a lot of reasons. We, we're going constantly. So it's kind of hard to get your schedule, my schedule, guest schedule all lined up. Um, but it's working and we've had the ability and we're going to have more guests on in the future. Um, as we kind of reiterate the, the, the growing need for habitat work. So,
2: um, yeah, hopefully everybody enjoys, um, and uh a new fresh perspective besides us just rambling all about turkeys that's right although it might not sound too much too different you'll hopefully enjoy it well
1: a lot of our guests i think by now they realize oh yeah well he's saying the same thing they've said for weeks (laughs) (laughs) so um, yeah yeah Uh, so aaron aaron's joining us and uh hopefully you guys enjoy all right guys let's jump right into this so like we said in the pre-show, we got Mr. Aaron Warbreton from the Hunting Public here. Aaron, thanks for joining us.
4: Yeah, no problem, fellas.
1: So, I think it's interesting, and, and I'd be there's no way to track it, but I feel like, uh, what year did you guys start the Hunting Public?
4: Uh, twenty seventeen. So uh, around August or September, somewhere in there, I, th- I believe it was September twenty seventeen.
1: So Matt and I, we launched Land of Legacy in twenty seventeen in the yeah. spring. And, uh, so we've been going at this for about four years now. And I think our audience, I'm not sure that our audience is a lot of landowners. We have a lot of guys that are, uh, retired and, and, uh, middle age. And I know you guys have a lot of probably, how little do I gamut. say this without smashing toes? A little bit younger generation probably is really following you guys. And I'm sure there's spillover, but in case there's listeners of ours that, frankly, are living under a rock, tell us a little bit about The Hunting Public. Uh,
4: we started The Hunting Public basically with the mission to relate to the general public that hunts. That's where the name comes from. It's like, when we were all sitting down as a group of buddies, we're, we're all from different you know, the country, and... We're discussing the type of content, and we, you know, viewers want to see, and we're like, guys, we're just your average, you know, deer and turkey hunters from different parts of the country. We're we're just like the majority of the general public that hunts. So let's just call it the hunting public, and you know, do our thing. Most of us grew up hunting private land on permission, small tracks, or public land. So, which is what. You know, the majority of your, the majority of the general public that hunt on a day-to-day basis. So, that's kind of where the whole idea is gone from. And then that's our, that's just our constant mission is to try to relate to those viewers out there that are, you know, in the same boat as us, if you will.
1: There you go. So, when did you guys kick off your 2021 spring season?
4: Uh, We started way south. Um, hunting Osceola's in southern Florida, then we went to North Florida. That was—I'm I'm trying to think though, when we started, I think it was around the eighth of March or the ninth of March. And we've been hunting turkeys steadily since then.
2: That's a—that's a long season. That is. Oh
4: yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. We're going to wrap up on June on June fifth in Maine. So. Nice. Whoa.
2: That's that's I've I've been up to Maine before. It's a unique experience. I will say this: they are extremely. Early mornings. It's such so so much later in the year, and you're so far east on that very northeast portion. It's like two two thirty wake up calls. Oh, <laughs> holy cow! Yeah, just prepare I yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You've always Matt.
1: There's always a phrase that you heard while you were in Maine that I always laugh about. What was that? Th- uh, high backing and thunder throw.
2: I wasn't. I wasn't there in Maine when I heard that. That was actually with Casey Morgan. Oh, oh, he's the one he says. But he was with a hunter from Maine. Maine. Okay, I knew there was something. Yeah, but there's a quick short story. There's a guy he was hunting with. I think he was guiding the process, and the guy didn't refer to it as strutting and gobbling. It was high-backing and (laughs) (laughs) thunder-throating. So, y'all can use that one when you go up to uh, Maine and and the Northwoods up there.
1: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) That's great. So, Early March all the way to uh, June. Whew. How overall? How have you guys seen the spring going?
3: Uh, it,
4: it's been a good spring for us. We've got into we've got into birds everywhere we've went. Uh, I would say that the trend, at least in the last couple of years, and magnified by COVID last year, and then carrying on into this year, has been more pocketed turkeys. Mm-hmm. So when we travel to an area, what we're finding, on public land anyway, because most of what we hunt is public, what we're finding is uh, turkeys are harder to locate, and some of them are few and far between in spots. But if we move around enough, we, th- at least this spring, we've been able to find pockets, healthy pockets of birds to hunt. You know, for example, I'll use Kentucky. We we got there the day before their season opened. We whipped in and hunted an area where there was a bunch of hunters, and we heard one turkey goblin in there on opening day, and it was getting pressured heavily. Well, by the end of the trip, we had moved to m- some more remote locations and some steeper terrain, and we're, we were able to find some pockets of turkeys where there was five, six, seven, eight longbeards, Hmm. all gobbling, you know, in one drainage. Which is what you would expect in that type of area because it was prime habitat for turkeys. Uh but, you know, that that's been the case pretty well everywhere we went. I mean, even up in the in the northwest where we were just hunting Miriam's turkeys, that was the case. It was like, yeah, there's this area has good habitat and it looks like there should be turkeys, but there's not very many. <clears throat> and then you go down the road ten miles and you find an area that does have a bunch. But it was, it was very pocketed throughout the spring. We definitely had to do more moving around than we usually do in order to find, you know, good populations of birds.
2: This this could be total coincidence, and, and we try and follow along with your guys' um, message and videos as, as much as we can, but like you guys, we're on the road quite a bit, especially during the spring. But we'd see, I guess, some footage or maybe some photos and such of you guys harvesting turkeys, but it seemed almost that this year a lot of the success was in and around recent habitat work, specifically prescribed fires, whether it was from Florida to Kentucky. Um, Is that something that you guys are specifically looking for, or is that just, hey, this is where the turkeys are and we're we're ending up hunting them here?
4: Uh, A little bit of both, honestly. In the southeast, we're definitely looking at that. And, uh, as, as we go farther North, like Kentucky, we were still looking for some of that stuff as well, but it, it kind of, you kind of have to have a mixture of, of, everything. You know, I mean, where we noticed we were finding birds in Kentucky and, and even down in the Southeast in Georgia and Alabama was, you know, in the edges of those fires. So where a prescribed fire would butt up against, a. uh, hardwood creek bottom Mm -hmm. you know and then the fire would fizzle out yep and the first 200 yards or so of that fire there would be turkeys you know along that transition from creek to creek bottom hardwoods to fire yep and that that was the types of areas where we were finding turkeys in the southeast and then once we got up to kentucky uh and we were hunting some of that national forest ground we were they had fire breaks you know created throughout that habitat where you know you'd obviously have fire on one side and then you'd have you know untouched on the other in the timber and along those transitions we were finding birds uh but i i mean that that definitely helped us find turkeys in those areas but those types of areas that got a lot of attention from other hunters we didn't find birds in those we found sign of turkeys that were there before the season Mm -hmm. but as soon as the season came in and hunters got in there and they either killed them they either missed them or they spooked the birds i'm assuming Mm. and it totally changed the makeup of of that location for the remainder of the spring
2: not to get sidetracked on the conversation but it's funny the what what it is you're describing goes back to a lot of things that that we preach, and so our audience can uh g- let's say gain from your observations is small fires don't overlook them because if you're finding birds just around the edges, you don't have to burn a big block of hundred to two hundred or more acres at one time. Small fires have a big play in turkey habitat behavior it is so. exactly what well we're- on
4: those national on those big national forest lands, you guys probably know that they, when they burn, they're trying to be as efficient as possible because oh, yeah. they have limited manpower. Yep. They have limited resources to spend on it. They know that they have to burn to decrease the fuel load. So when they go in there, they're burning thousands of acres at a time.
1: Yeah, yep. road, road to road. What ends basically. up
4: happening is the turkeys don't use the middle of those burns. No. I mean, not until, they, not, not until that early successional stuff grows back in and then they'll move back into it. They love the edges of them, Mm -hmm. but uh, only for, like, the first couple hundred yards, they'll be out in those burns. Otherwise, if we see them out in the middle of one of those giant burns, they're not
2: feeding, they're not
4: strutting. Most of the time, they're they're hiking through it to get from A to B.
2: Certainly. Mm. You know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a temporary void at they scale those fires that you guys are seeing on a lot of the public land. But yeah. you don't have to have that temporary void if you're minimizing or decreasing the average burn unit itself. Yeah. So well, most yeah. guys
1: don't even own a 1,000 acres. And right. it goes right in with what a uh, colleague of Michael Chamberlain, Brett Collier, says is um, big burns are better than no burns, and small burns are better than big burns.
4: Yep. Right
3: yeah that's right
1: yeah so that is interesting i noticed that you guys had keyed in on that and i was like that's what we're doing here on our own farm is Mm -hmm. we shot birds right around fire uh burn units for us on edges of them too yeah still smell the smoke yep yep Uh, so let's aaron a little bit of i guess your background you've been in the hunting industry for how many years now
4: Oh, I, that's a good question. I've, I've dabbled in the hunting industry since probably 2004 or so. Uh, I I started out going to turkey calling competitions when I was 16 years old, and I've always filmed my hunt. I mean, me and my cousin have done that since we stole my aunt's video camera out of the closet when we were 10 years old. So, that's, that's sort of always been part of my life, but... I got more involved in the industry and like doing some freelance filming and stuff in 04 and 05 and then just steadily sort of built my portfolio up from there before I eventually got some more work towards the end of college and uh, started being able to make a little bit of side money doing that, you know, filming for other companies and editing projects for them. And then eventually I took the internship with Midwest Whitetail and moved to Iowa. That was in 2011. Okay. Gotcha. And from that point on it's just grown uh more and more involved into the industry.
1: So over all those years you've been turkey hunting the whole time. And Yep. I want to early on, let's say when you were a teenager, you were hunting turkeys in Missouri. Do you remember yeah. what's the core I guess compare the turkey population of those days versus now?
4: Well, that, those were the days, the glory days, if you will, of Missouri turkey hunting. I mean, we were at the—and and it's not just in Missouri, in my opinion. I feel like a lot of states through the mid-2000s were experiencing, you know, a bumper crop of turkeys. Yeah. And it was kind of at that period of time anyway. I'm generalizing a bit, but through that period of time, that's when all of those restocking efforts— uh really started to come to fruition there was an increased turkey hunter population so you know we had more money going into the resource and for whatever reason during that five six year period through there there was just a good amount of turkeys i I could be wrong but i think missouri killed fifty some thousand birds a year there for a few years in the mid 2000
1: yeah oh four greatest season ever over 60,000 birds harvested Over
4: 60, okay, yeah. I I thought that, because I remember looking at the harvest data, even when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I was born in 87, so I was hunting turkeys hard in 03, 04, 05, 06 in Missouri specifically, and yeah, there was a lot of things different about that time. I mean, we own a small farm about 100 acres in northeast Missouri, and I had four or five neighbors around me during that time that would allow me to turkey hunt and allow some other local folks to turkey hunt at that point in time behind my house i had access to seven or eight hundred private acres between me and my buddies to turkey hunt on and i wouldn't even go hunting until the second or third week i would take people back <laughs> there and film on shooting turkeys
3: mm-hmm. before
4: i would even go in
3: mm.
4: and it yeah it was so, so I wouldn't bank- say that it, it's a, it was a tremendous difference, but I could, I could certainly tell you between then and now, um, there was more turkeys there. So- there was more turkeys there, and there was, there was less uh, people. Um, now, the, all, a lot of that ground has been chunked up, and it's been sold in the smaller parcels. And this is just my experience. Um, it was sold in the smaller parcels, And, uh, now a lot of it has been built, uh, on, they've, they've put, you know, small homes, vacation homes and stuff around it. So the amount of usable habitat has definitely decreased in that area that I hunted, you know, 15 to 20 years ago. Um, but the overall numbers of turkeys has decreased on our farm. An interesting thing on our farm, we've ran trail cameras for two, over two decades and, increasingly, I'm not saying this is the case everywhere, but increasingly in the last 10 years, we've gotten fewer pictures of turkeys each and every year. And I'm I'm seeing just minimal decreases each year and increases in bobcats specifically. Hmm. Uh, You know, I don't want to open a can of worms with that because (laughs) people will will say, you know, we got to kill all the bobcats to save all the turkeys. I don't, I'm not necessarily on that. Uh, you know on that bandwagon but i can say for sure on our farm we've seen an increase in bobcats and a decrease in turkeys in the last you know seven or eight years
1: Hmm. do you notice a a difference between land use or management because i know growing up for me prescribed fire was used a lot more from farmers even trying to clean up their woods to now it seems like when you see a fire in the ozarks in in our kind of tri-county region it's like there's a guy managing for wildlife like that that's just who who's burning now and, it's and that's it yeah. and do you do you know um if there was a change from back then versus now i
4: couldn't say uh to be honest i just i, I noticed that back then it seemed like a lot of my buddies and a lot of the friends and whatnot within our community turkey hunted, but it just seemed like everybody had more places to go. And I think the reason behind all that was that there was just more turkeys to hunt. Yeah. There was just more turkeys to hunt on more areas. And that, you know, everybody having more access.
1: Yeah. And then eventually more success.
2: Yeah. What What did Missouri harvest this year? Thirty thousand or thirty
1: three? Just like just over thirty three, I think. I mean, yeah,
2: we're paint we're, we're <clears> to paint that picture for. Do we y'all know what it
4: was last year in the COVID
1: boom? Uh, about thirty six sixteen thousand. No, yeah, but I think
2: I want to say it was it like thirty six thousand. It was just, oh, man, I forget. Yeah, and I, it wasn't a cons- it wasn't a very large decrease um, when you compare the the hunter uh, numbers, the the changes between last year and this year in yeah. the, in the state of Missouri. But I want to say it was like thirty six thousand twenty twenty to to thirty three thousand um, in in this year. And I, there, I mean, there's so yeah, many factors that play Yeah, and that's the interesting that thing because
4: COVID created a lot more you know, opportunity for folks. So sure. that's what we saw across the board last year was there was way, way more hunters, especially out on public land. Cause they had time to hunt.
2: Certainly, certainly. And I know there were some States rate, right, you know, let's say the Southeast, like Georgia, South Carolina, right <clears throat> as COVID was really hitting, that's when their seasons were opening up. And I know, I remember seeing stats. I don't remember the exact numbers, but their license sales were considerably up because all of a sudden, it wasn't like this prolonged people had time like you would maybe say in late summer of 2020. But like as soon as COVID was hitting... That's when turkey season was opening up. People were like, "Wow, I'm going now. I've got time. I can't go to the office." Yeah. And and those states B- and, really and, saw this and business large hadn't figured
1: out how to do Zoom meetings right. and everything like right. that. It was just like, "Go home, stay home." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it definitely interesting the, <laughs> looking the numbers, at all these factors. The numbers. It was actually in in 2021, 34,581,000 killed. In 2022, it was just over forty one thousand.
2: Twenty twenty. Yeah.
1: Or twenty twenty. Sorry. Twenty twenty was forty one thousand okay. and change, and twenty twenty one was thirty four thousand and change. So that's the difference. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. What about now? So we talked about in comparison of when you were growing up, but what about when you kicked off in the hunting industry? And I, you, I know you did. You took another show of traveling in the spring, um, chasing birds. So from those days, you did a lot of public hunting to now you're doing a lot of public hunting for sure have you noticed just in the last 10 years of major population swings from chasing birds across the country specifically on public ground
4: i would say uh in some in some places yes uh, overall from you know in the spring thunder days when we were starting that i was traveling basically living out of my car in 2012 and 13, I was traveling all over the, the country doing the same thing. I mean, I was hunting more private land during that time. Or I, I should I should say I was filming on more private land during that time because a lot of the folks I was traveling to hunt with, I was just filming them uh, to get content for the show. But I would say overall it's been a, a steady
2: decrease.
4: Um, nothing that would make you think, you know, turkeys have just completely vanished off the landscape from these areas, although the one scary area that I have been on uh, a couple of times in the last eight years where turkeys have, you know, almost become non-existent in spots is Arkansas. And I guess where I'm going with this is a lot of the states that are experiencing declines right now are on the same trajectory as arkansas Mm -hmm. and when we hunted arkansas public land back in 2014 2015 we found turkeys they were difficult to find um there was a noticeable decrease in the population and what it should be i mean we were looking at the most beautiful creek bottoms with hardwood timber button up next to them where they had done habitat work um Mm -hmm. everything and there was one gobbler in there and a small group of hens, you know, for two and a half miles down through one of those mm-hmm. areas. And it was like, man, there, it seems like this thing should be loaded. And when you talk to the locals, they were like, yeah, 20 years ago, you'd hear 15 birds gobbling down through here. But at that time, and I'm talking, 20, I'm talking six years ago now, when we were there six years ago, you could find a turkey or two in those locations. When I went back two years ago, we didn't even find a turkey in those spots. I mean, we didn't even cut a track.
3: Hmm. Wow. So,
4: and it was it was a scary, you know, ominous place to be because we were sitting out there in picture-perfect weather, opening week of turkey season in Arkansas, listening over top of some excellent-looking habitat with, and what appeared to be good-looking habitat. Now, I'm not an expert like you guys are, but, I mean, when I was standing up on, on top of these bluffs listening over several riparian areas down below me in these creek bottoms and rivers i'm like yes i should be hearing
1: mm-hmm. turkeys yeah
4: like and and even spots where i had been on turkeys in the past we did not hear birds i mean we got on turkeys by the end of the trip but it was one bird and we hunted them for three days in a row mm-hmm.
2: you know
4: uh, the, the, but the, it was it was a noticeable difference just in five years right at that point and I, it was not good five six years ago like it was in bad shape so and then and i actually talked to i talked to one of the wardens down there while we were there and he he echoed the same concerns he's like yes our our turkey populations are in in dire shape and the reason i bring up that example is because we're starting to see the same patterns especially in the southeastern states where we go um and definitely in the last ten years, to your point about me traveling back in the spring thunder days, I've I've certainly seen that to be the case, but not not necessarily across the board. You know, though, as you work farther north, there's statewide declines, but it's pocketed. That that's been our experience anyway.
2: You know the the what you just described there is I think for any passionate turkey hunters, and and there's no shortage of passionate turkey hunters. The the fear of a silent spring. Is scary. It's a scary, scary thought to to experience. While well, you're sitting there over that bluff in Arkansas, knowing that there has been historically birds here, and I'm looking over what should be great habitat, I'm not hearing birds. That that that's a scary thought to see that progression, and and now to see that same trend in other states. And you know, one one of the things that we've been looking at and talking with uh, biologists and everything is okay after the, all these restocking efforts you're gonna have an experience a a large boom in the population, the oh four, oh five, oh six kind of the peak, right? Well we've gotta come down off of a peak. But what I've been let's say balancing back in my head like the principles of ecology of like, okay we're gonna see this trend, like this upward and downward trend over time. <coughs> but but the scary thing is that it hasn't like rebound it back upwards like we're still seeing this decline yeah. uh, in in states like Arkansas and now we're in the in the southeast they they had these great populations and then now for 10 12 years we're still seeing this steady decline when are we going to see that upward tick and turn um but if everything has fallen the suit of Arkansas to me this is not a plateauing effect <laughs> no. this is this is just this downward trend And it's again, we're not seeing that uptick anymore um, like we would hope to see. So that's where this this fear of a silent spring or or um, it's why we've been talking about it. Yeah, I don't believe it's a it's a oh, we're just going to counterbalance and stabilize when we have um, experiences such as Louisiana, Arkansas, that that had turkeys. And now we're just seeing this awful awful population that's not rebounding yeah that's what's fearful yeah
4: and it's it's uh it, it you know with a surplus of birds like that comes more opportunity for hunters so you yeah. create more turkey hunters which is a great thing but mm-hmm.
3: then you know in
4: arkansas where we were at there was a lot of turkey hunters and where there was a turkey there was multiple hunters hunting that same bird on opening it's like you know that turkey's getting killed yeah. Or he's going to get displaced off the landscape when he's got that much pressure on him.
2: Breeding you know, if is even more. You have five turkey interrupt.
4: hunters hunting one creek bottom, and there's five or six gobblers in it. Then you have the ability to kind of spread out. You know, people can move on one flock of birds and the, and and kind of keep the pressure evenly distributed. But when you have five or six turkey hunters targeting one gobbler in one creek bottom, then you, you know, you start to magnify this problem a little bit. And I'm all for getting people out in the woods. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, that's part of why we do what we do is to, is to encourage folks to buy a license and go hunting. But, totally. you know, we're, we're walking a tightrope with, with this population issue. However, I think that, and this is just my opinion, you guys probably know more about this than I do, but I think the elephant in the room in a lot of these places is the pulp production like we are not making enough turkeys and when mike showed me the numbers and from state to state i mean it it's like alarming to see yeah a bunch of states that have eastern turkeys in them in the last five years have been averaging two poles per hen or less Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that's well and that that's what it comes down to we can talk about adult gobbler harvests all day long and in these trends and everything like we spoke last week adam and when you're looking at the harvest rates and you're seeing this decrease you're a little bit behind the eight ball because when you see this long-term decrease in those numbers it's it's not a harvesting issue it's a reproduction issue you're just not making as many as you once did and and we got to right. address that issue to to then experience an increase in adult harvest rates right so that that is really the the huge issue with with yeah. all these states is we've got to be making more turkeys and a lot of that does come down to again there's tons of factors for sure but we've got to have the right habitat in place to be able to create yeah. that
1: it's hard to raise poults on on thick rank fescue fields or it's right. hard to rank r- raise poults in a subdivision
2: or asphalt or <laughs> asphalt. Yeah. rooftops uh, yeah and work
1: like that yeah yeah it's 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 quite scary but aaron have you got any ideas you know this is just us Chatting now, but um, as far as you know, uh, clearly you've seen downward trends. But um, have you got any ideas? Like, if somebody would just say, "Hey," because right now everybody's got an opinion about how we can fix the turkeys. What would you? Do you got any suggestions on uh, on what regulations might be put in place that could help the turkeys? um, Or do you like it the way it is?
4: Uh. I think Missouri is honestly a, a pretty good example, and I'm not saying that Missouri doesn't need to make changes. Uh, I I believe that's possibly in their future. You know, they, it's something that they need to, to address as some regulation changes. However, we've been talking with a lot of these southeastern states and these other areas with more liberal bag limits and longer seasons. Uh and in those areas, especially on public land, it's pretty clear that we're overpressuring the turkeys.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know,
4: on on specific areas, and we're overpressuring them too early in the season. Now, this is something that a healthy population can withstand, in my opinion. Um, I don't I don't think we've overhunted the turkeys to the point that they're having declines. I I think like like as we said a minute ago, kind of a disclaimer here: the elephant in the room is the production.
2: Correct. Yeah. And
4: I think when we have downward production like this, it only magnifies that problem whenever you are hunting turkeys earlier in the spring. If you have liberal bag limits, you can harvest a bird a day or multiple birds per day. What what ends up happening is and I'm I'm solely referring to some of the states that come in before peak gobbling. You get a lot of those early seasons that attract a lot of hunters you know from other states they come in there and they overpressure the birds in the first couple of weeks and they kill a lot of those dominant gobblers off the landscape that that sort of lengthens the breeding cycle because that causes hens to have to move you know from their i would say i don't know if they necessarily leave their home range but it causes hens to have to travel further to get bred yeah. Because they have to go search for other gobblers, and that pecking order is disrupted before peak gobbling initiates. So, in um, peak breeding for that matter. So it, it lengthens that breeding cycle out. Then you then you don't have that sort of predator swamping effect that you do it naturally, mm-hmm. because ideally most of the hens are nesting at the same time. This creates right. almost a surplus of of you know eggs and pults for the predators to eat so they can't <laughs> kill them all at the same time but if you spread that out further you know in distribution then it allows predators more time to to eat pults and eat eggs
2: and, yeah. and at the same you know, time
4: once they make it past that first couple weeks their the their mortality odds go way down they yeah. they tend to survive and do real well but man that's a critical time and if we're spreading that out because of harvest. Then we're being harder on the turkeys,
2: it, but
1: uh, yeah, that fits I, right I in line with I, you know, the, the the research shows that the first nest is always the most successful. Correct. And so yeah, if we correct. if we shoot them, if we're shooting them, and the pecking order is shifted to where now she has to go and try to find another, she's still got to find the next dominant tom, the one that she's going to breed with. And if that delays
2: right. and delays and delay and, and oh man, and that, and that's interrupting the the <laughs> large scale of the. Breeding cycles, but at the same time, naturally, what's happening vegetation wise is everything's getting more grown up and more rank. So you would think that, oh, wow, there's more nesting sites available, but it's not necessarily about the nesting sites being available. It's about what happens if that egg hatches and that poult gets out on the landscape. Like if it's so dense and so rank later into the growing season, they can't, it gets too thick for them to even mobilize. So not only are you disrupting the breeding cycles and the predator swamping effect, but it's also the growing seasons advancing quickly. Oh, and yeah. it's just like, Oh my gosh, we're just multiplying this, um, this effect of right. downward trends in the reproduction side of things. Oh.
4: Yeah, and, and I should say like, I'm not, I'm not just coming up with all this on my own. I learned all this from Mike and his dude,
2: yep. um, totally.
4: you know, yeah. through talking with him many times, but I, that, that goes back to Missouri season. Missouri season has, in a sense, followed the science that they had for a long time. I mean, that's why the season dates are designed to come in when they do. I mean, it's supposed to occur just after peak breeding, yep. and then we can only harvest one turkey in the first week, uh, which is supposed to limit, you know, that that tom harvest until the toms are in theory expendable, which occurs after peak breeding. So a lot of other states are looking at that model and they're thinking about moving season dates back a little bit, you know, and, and reducing the pressure on those turkeys until peak breeding is over with.
1: Yeah, um, we had a client, you know, reach- but that's
4: just that I that's I mean, like I said, that that's something that probably needs to be done in the short term to help, you know, curb these declines a little bit, but. Long term, we got to figure out what the heck is the problem with why we're not making turkeys, right? Yeah, right.
1: Um, yeah.
0: And there's a lot
4: of opinions out there about that, as you guys know. I mean, you can go on and on about habitat and predator management and all those things, mm-hmm. but yeah. the there's the main million. thing the main thing we all have got to be more conscious of is habitat, and we've got to do a better job of of managing for it. You know, if every individual does something to help turkey habitat on a property that they have access to they can have we can have an impact moving forward yeah and that doesn't just go with habitat work that's like when i was talking to mike i mean he kind of outlined those three things he's like you need to be conscious of of doing habitat work for turkeys you need to monitor your harvest pressure on those areas and you need to and if you want to help even further you can start to help manage predators on those areas but if you only do one of those three things it's especially if, if all you're doing is going there and trapping for example you're not you're not solving the the main problem preaching you know, in the short or the long <laughs> oh, term you've got to be able to you've got to be doing some sort of habitat <clears throat> improvement in conjunction with that I don't know if you guys would agree with that or oh, not. Oh yeah,
2: oh one hundred percent, yeah for sure. And and, and but, you know, Aaron, you bring up a, a lot of really good points in that. And that's honestly why we wanted to to have you on specifically, a guy who spends a lot of time on public land hunting. We spend a lot of time on private land hunting, but but this is not a private land public land, let's say, issue or dispute, nothing like that. As, as passionate turkey hunters, we're all coming together to trying pull our brain power and figure this thing out so as as you're talking what would you say to guys who are listening who have access to either private and who hunt public what are the things that that you think they can do um to help like what what would you say to them as a guy who has experienced a ton of public land hunting the past 10 12 years
4: um from the public land standpoint i think it's Very important for us to get involved in, I guess, our state wildlife committees and, you know, your state turkey federation chapters. Uh, you, we need to, we need to get involved as a community to help make broad brush decisions on (laughs) habitat and habitat incentives on public land. You know, that's, I, and I don't have like. I'm speculating here. That's just my that's my guess because I don't have a good answer for public land.
3: Mm-hmm. There's
4: so, you know there's so many. I guess uh, you know hands in the cookie jar on it, if you will.
3: Yeah. That
4: there's there's so mu- there's so much stuff going on. The only way we're gonna be able to increase better turkey habitat and better tur in in that sense better turkey hunting in the future on public land is if we band together somehow as a community and talk to these states about what we need to do and offer up, you know, our help, whether that be volunteering to assist on habitat projects, which it can and can't be done depending on your situation. Um, But I think how you could have a more immediate impact is if you can get access to private land and not just to hunt on. If you can get access to private land to do habitat improvement on, even if you can't hunt that property, you could make it better for turkeys. And in the end, that's kind of the goal here.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: We just need more usable habitat for turkeys across the landscape. And I don't, I mean, like, I don't even, I hunt mostly public land. I don't even really hunt my family farm in Missouri anymore, but dad and I are already planning to burn. Right. Um, here pretty soon. We're also going to do some mild trapping, you know, during the off season, just to educate ourselves on it more, more so than anything, right? And you know, we're we also plant clover and maintain clover plots on the property to, so that they have good brood habitat. Um, there's a number of different things that we do on our farm and that we're planning to do moving forward. And like I said, I don't even really hunt it, but. I think that's important for everybody to do, if you can. Go in and, and improve habitat wherever habitat can be improved, basically, public or private.
2: Right. Where, where there's willing people. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think there's a lot of private landowners, if, if they're passionate turkey hunters, they may not know what to do. But, you know, w- with conversations being open, hey, I'll come help you this weekend. We'll, we'll learn it together. We'll try these things. Um, just just bridge that gap and get in there and try and put some sort of elbow grease behind the habitat to improve it. You, you, you got to start small and work your way up to it. If you don't have a ton of experience, or if you're you're just you know creating that let's say relationship with a private landowner, and you typically hunt public land, it's it's kind of a do whatever you can yeah. situation. I right think now.
1: there's a lot of places I know, especially in in my home county, that are large tracts of land nobody gets to hunt. <laughs> Um, and you don't gain permission because people have tried for years to go in there and say, can I hunt? And they say no. And there might be a door that you could slide in of going, hey, you know, I'm not really interested in hunting, but you're close to my farm. I'd love to help uh, improve habitat so we can have more game populations and non-game population. Let's just create a healthier ecosystem. And that might, that might be a possibility for people. And as
2: as yeah know. that's
4: that's definitely definitely possible and like I said I'm kind of scratching my head with the public land stuff um, I, I, I think there is definitely ways that you can get involved and and improve it but my fear it, with public land is that if populations continue to go down, we're gonna wind up in, in almost like a western big game system for turkeys. And I know we're a ways from that happening, but right. you can kind of already see it in some places like in Florida and in Georgia where public land is quota hunts that you have to draw. And the more and more quotas that they go to, the harder it is for you to get drawn to hunt those areas. Because, And I don't blame the state for doing that because they have to regulate the pressure on the birds. You know we can't overpressure them to the point where we're removing them from the landscape and, and causing negative effects to the population. So that I guess and I don't want to be doom and gloom. That's just my fear long term on public land unless we get this population thing figured out.
2: Yeah, I, I we try not to be doom and gloom here on the on the podcast as well. Um, but there's a I I think you would agree on this that there's a difference between. Doom and gloom, and being aware and taking action, and that's where we're writing that line of, "Hey, we're, we're we're trying to communicate that, hey, this is this is um, downward trends, and we need some intervention to begin to reverse this downward trend, and here's the action that we can all take um, to do something about it." And so, yeah, I don't want to paint a, a bleak picture for the future, but um, I also don't want a bleak future <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> so right right yeah here, here. we did that recently we we helped
4: fund research uh through a fundraiser uh with dr chamberlain yes uh, to get to get three research projects established in alabama when i just sent him the check
2: that's um, awesome
4: for that money and people when we told folks we were doing that they were super supportive like i could not believe how fast we got to our goal mm-hmm. of fundraising that's amazing. And we were able to get, and you know, a lot of those people are hunting public land in Alabama. Sure. Uh, so they're taking action, and they're doing. They know that that this is a way that they can help potentially in the long run. You get may have, more research on the ground to learn more about the the turkey behavior and the turkey populations in their state. Uh, that can only be a good thing.
2: Outside so. looking in, you may have just answered your own question about ways that, yeah. that public land hunters can can help and be a part of it. I mean, what you guys did there was, was fantastic, and it's going directly to um, help research and, and aid more information so we can make these game time decisions and help state agencies across the board um, learn more about ways that we can structure seasons and bag limits and all these things. So, I mean, I, I think what you guys did there was this great uh, let's say middle, middle of the road hybridization of public private that, Hey, this, all this information is going to go to everyone. It's going to be accessible to everyone. And I I think it was awesome. So kudos to you guys.
4: Thanks. I'm hoping we can do more of it in the future. We're, we're pretty small. So we tried to just tackle one state at a time here, but I'm hoping we can go down there. And that's the plan is that, we can fund this research. Mike and his team can get it off the ground, and then we can go down there next spring and we can film it, and we can show people the progress that they're having, that's right. and yep. then move on to you know the next thing, the next project that we need to help fund. Um, so long term, I, I, I uh, you know, I'm optimistic for that.
2: That's yeah. that's that's wonderful. No, yeah. I, I think that's a great approach. Well, Aaron, we sure do appreciate you coming
1: on and sharing kind of your experiences and talking all about turkeys. Yeah, no problem, guys. Well, good luck up there in Maine, and I know there probably might be a few more states in between, so good luck, be safe the rest of the season, and uh, I'm I'm excited to follow along. How can people, uh, if they don't already know, surely they do, but how can people follow along on your guys' work?
4: Uh, Just go to YouTube and type in The Hunting Public, and you should be able to find us there. Uh, We also have episodes on Amazon Prime, and then we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and TikTok.
0: TikTok? Which is something
4: I I don't know much about, but uh, (laughs) Ted and my younger employees do.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: funny. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome,
2: and we appreciate your time and all that you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, no
3: problem,
4: fellas. Enjoyed it.